Boy Scouts of the Air in Belgium by Gordon Stewart Chapter 12 A Boy of Mystery It was fortunate for the boys that the barge had struck an eddy and then the rocks in such a way that the bow had tipped high enough to force the damaged side above the waterline. The jagged hole was just large enough for an active boy to squirm through. Hans and his helpers led the way. Miles and Tom piled after them. Loomp followed. The wrecked float swayed as they got free of it. The direct shore was about twenty feet distant. The first contingent made for it forthwith. An eddy made by the lurching of the scow drew Hans under the surface, and he gave a muffled shriek. His helpers, however, sturdily dragged him along between them, and all hands finally stood dripping and breathing hard from their efforts on the shore. "'We've made it!' exclaimed Ned. "'Yes, and it's something to tell about,' echoed Miles. "'There goes the old wreck,' announced Bob. And despite their discomfort, for a minute or two the entire group stood viewing the gyrations of the barge. One end had been a roaring mass of flames, but when it had slumped, the bow had dripped, and part of the fire was extinguished. Now the craft was borne loose from its hold on the rocks, and whirling and swaying, the smoking, flaming hole dropped to one side, nearly turned turtle, and then rocked into the current. There she goes, spoke Ned, as the craft suddenly swung free and began again its downstream journey. Yes, and with it goes my cooking kit, added Miles. We had better get dried up, suggested Bob, glancing about to see if there was any prospect of shelter. Let's hunt cover. They set out at once. The landscape had changed in the last few miles of their involuntary voyage. The river shore was lined with rocks. The valley had become bluffy and irregular. There was no clear path along the bank, and they had to do some hard climbing to get up to the top of a jagged cliff. How will this do, Bob? inquired Ned in advance of the others, and halting as he turned past a group of looming rocks. A depression in the steep side of a gully formed a sort of cave. Hills hid it from view on either side. It was solitary, secluded, and not readily accessible. It seemed ideal as far as the present needs of the refugees were concerned. Yes, there's sunlight here and a chance to start a fire, remarked Bob. Well... We are safely this far on our journey anyhow, cried Ned cheerily. Ah, faithful purveyor, Miles, bring on the eats. Methinks I feel an appetite coming on. There's nothing to purvey, retorted Miles, but I'll soon have my end of the proposition in shape. If you fellows only have the gumption to go skirmish up enough for dinner, I'll see that it is cooked and served in good style. Miles proceeded to gather up dry sticks and leaves while his comrades took off their coats and spread them in the sun to dry. Miles found his matches soaked, but that did not bother him. He was too expert a Boy Scout not to know more than one way to start a fire. Steel and tinder was the easiest resource just now, and, watched admiringly by Hans, he soon had a blaze going. Ned got out a pocket case and brought out a line and hooks. If there's any fish down there in the river, we'll soon have some, he pledged. Come on, Tom, let's try our luck. There was a little patch of woods, 
remarked Han. Often in the woods are nuts, sometimes berries. I will try. And he, too, started off on a tour of exploration. Bob strolled farther along the cliff, and Loomp joined him. Abruptly, he stared at the left hand of his companion. Why, he exclaimed, you've lost that false finger of yours. Yes, that is so, nodded Loomp, a trifle embarrassed. Then he explained. It was in the rush from the old barge. It doesn't matter so much, now that we're out of Belgium, he added quite airily. Then it did back there, ventured Bob. I should guess so, replied Loomp with emphasis. But don't look so queerly at me. I was just wondering what the mystery of that false finger. And your hiding the way you have done. And your anxiety to get out of Airlay. And all that means, submitted Bob. Don't wonder, like a good fellow now, said Loomp in a half-comical, half-coaxing way. It will all come out in the wash when the right minute arrives. Bob discerned that Loomp had something he wished to conceal, so he restrained his curiosity. They strolled on, and after a long pause in the conversation, he said, You've been a big help to us, Loomp. Do you know that? I'm glad, answered Loomp. It will sort of pay you back for the risk of taking up with a forlorn, homeless wanderer like myself. Is it as bad as that? inquired Bob sympathizingly. Worse, declared Loomp steadily, and an expression of bitterness crossed his face. I think I see my way to work out of a bad fix, though, he added, and a set resolution showed in his eyes. Say, I suppose you fellows have a great life where you live. You mean the Boy Scouts end of it, and all that, said Bob. Yes, we're a pretty well-satisfied crowd. Back home, things are fine and pleasant. I wish you could return with us, if we ever get the chance to return. Thank you, spoke Loomp, and his tones trembled slightly, as if there was a good deal of emotion under the surface he did not wish to betray. I had some experience, as you know, in England, where I was sent to school. Outside of that, I've had a bad time of it, I can tell you. How do you mean? I'm interested. Well, I have no father or mother and no home to speak of. Home, flared up the speaker with intense bitterness. You might better call it a prison. For two years, I've been living like some slave. When my father died, there was a guardian appointed, a man named Johann Berg. I stood the life he led me as long as I could. I'm out of his clutches now. If it wasn't for my fortune, I'd make for a decent country quick as lightning. Your fortune? repeated Bob vaguely. That's what I said, asserted Loomp. I don't look like an heir, do I? All the same, there's a matter of over ten thousand dollars mine. If I can only get it. Rightfully mine, too, mind you. Besides that, which is as good as cash, there's houses and lands... They're tied up until I'm twenty-one, but the cash is mine and no one else's. Oh, how I wish I'd grabbed it when I had the chance. The speaker looked as though every word he uttered was true. Bob was impressed. More than that, he was deeply interested. He fancied he'd read between the lines, 
The boy evidently had a better name than Loomp. There was something about him, too, that assured Bob he came from a family that amounted to something. He wished Loomp would reveal more of the mystery surrounding him. The latter, however, showed his desire to close the subject for the time being, as he said finally, I'd like to stick with you fellows, because very likely things will come about so you can help me. You know we will be glad to do that, replied Bob earnestly. We all like you, and... Look there, interrupted Loomp, and both halted in their walk as he pointed towards a little stretch of timber and underbrush amid which nestled a rough-built hut. Its door stood open, but there was no sign of life about the place. Bob drew his companion to one side and pulled him down to a crouching posture. We'll make a little spy on the place, he whispered. In these times, in this uncertain district, we never know what we may run across. After five minutes peering through the bushes, however, the boys were satisfied that there was no one about the place, and they advanced nearer to it. Here's some wagon tracks right up to the door, said Bob. There's no furniture inside either. Looks as if someone had got out of here in a hurry. They entered the hut and gave it a hurried inspection. On every side, there were signs of the sudden departure of the recent occupants of the place. Everything had been removed except a few broken articles of furniture and some abandoned utensils, worn out and of no value. It's easy to guess that the war has scared out some honest peasant and his family, spoke Loop. It looks that way, assented Bob. Hello, here's the pantry. Some salt and pepper, some crusts of dry bread, a cracked frying pan, two broken cups, and some dried peas. They went outside again. Back of the hut, they discovered the withered-up tokens of a late summer garden. Some dried-up corn stalks held still a few ears of grain. This strikes me as better than the cave, said Bob. There's a little stack of straw over yonder, and we could have clean bedding. Perhaps it might be best to make headquarters here for a day or two, and reconnoiter till we find out exactly where we are and what there is ahead of us. Good idea, echoed Loomp. It's a barren prospect so far as supplies go, but not so barren now, if what I saw running through that clump of shrubs yonder are tame, interrupted Bob. I say, do you see them? Uh-huh, nodded Loom. Chickens, as I live. One, two, three, four. That looks promising. Maybe there's eggs, too. Come on, directed Bob. Let's find out. 